half a day. Tiro, Yakwe, Mogatin, Raninim, Lenwo, Kasselelie, Ali, and hello. And thank you for tuning in. Welcome to One Canoe Podcast, brought to you by Micronesia Climate Change Alliance. On this platform, we will be discussing our climate justice work and community projects that help us navigate into a more just, sustainable, and culturally rooted future. We are many islands, many voices, on this one canoe. Welcome from Saipan. This is Manyaka Dioro with the One Canoe podcast with Micronesia Climate Change Alliance. I am joined today with some wonderful ladies, Sophia Perez, Marjorie Atalig, Jaina Schodemeyer, and Catherine Elahi. And they have all been sailing with 500 sails. I'm going to open up this podcast speaking a little bit about and to these ladies about what 500 sales is, where it's at, and what it's um, hoping to be and see in this world for the Mariana Islands. Um, anybody? Just to talk oh, about Oh yeah, and no, actually, we could also just, if everyone can introduce themselves a little bit better. Sure. Yeah. Um, so my name is Sophia Perez. Uh, I've been volunteering with 500 for like three years now. Ever since I came back, I was born and raised in the States, but I am part Chamorro and my aunt and uncle are the executive directors and founders of 500 Sales. Half a day, my name is Marjorie Atalig. I am a daughter of Tinian, born to parents uh, Juan and Lourdes Atalig. Uh, my father is Chamorro, my mother is Filipina, and as <laughs> uh, growing up in a household of like majority women, my father wasn't really, uh, didn't really, was overprotective of his girl, so we didn't really have that uh, exposure, that much of an exposure to the water, because he was worried we were gonna drown, he wouldn't be able to save all five of us. So, um, when I heard about 500 sales happening about three years ago, unfortunately, I lived on Tinian at the time, and I wanted to be a part of it, but uh, circumstances took me here on Saipan last year, and as soon as I heard it was back and up and running, I just, kind of jumped in and kind of became a part of it and uh, haven't, haven't regretted it since. Mm-hmm. It's a part of my heritage that I wish I, I had more. Uh, yeah, it'd be nice some reclaiming that back. Yeah. Yeah. Jaina. Hello, my name is Jaina Schodemeyer. Um, I am half Chamorro, half Haole or Chamauli, born and raised in the States. And um, I came out to Saipan, where my mom was born and raised, uh, just this year in January. And Sophia brought me to 500 Sails. She was like, come check it out. My auntie and my uncle, they go sailing every Sunday. It's super fun. Just just come and, and see what it's like. Um, and as soon as I got on the canoe, I really just, I just loved it. Um, so I've spent this past, I spent the past seven months, you know, learning about my heritage and my culture and the history of the Chamorro people and the Mariana Islands. Um, I was taking classes online through UOG while I was living in Saipan. And I was learning about you know, the flying pro and how skilled the sailors were hundreds of years ago and how they you know, had this, these maritime traditions for thousands of years. So um, for me, coming out to the Marianas um, and you know, like personally trying to reconnect with my culture and, and finding that there was this huge aspect of the Chamorro culture that was lost and people are starting to reconnect with, that was really, um, it's been a really huge part about my, my journey here. 
Hi, my name is Catherine Nalahi. I am born and raised here in the island of Saipan. Um, I started out with 500 Tales by volunteering as a certified lifeguard, and I was able to be certified thanks to um, a, a, a sister program. A sister program, yeah, thank you. A sister program called the Gamson Project that was under 500 Tales, and Miss um, Emma Perez, the co-founder and executive one of the co-founders and executive directors introduced me into the Lalazak program and everything. And it just stuck with me and here I am. Although I am pure Filipina, I have mad love and respect for the culture, especially this aspect of the culture where it's all about voyaging and sailing out there. Yeah. Well, thank you all for sharing. Um, but. For those who don't know and have never heard of 500 Sales, how would you describe um, this nonprofit organization? I could jump in here. It's my aunt and uncle's thing. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so 500 gets its name from like a missionary or not missionary, like a old Spanish mercenary, they call them, you merchant. know, merchant, whatever they are. Like the archives. The, yeah, old, old sailing archives. Um, so I think it was like, like back around Magellan's time when um, one of these big galleons rolled up to the Marianas and they look around and they're surrounded by 500 sails. Or the guy says, I think it was somewhere around 500. And it's, and it's all the different Chamorro canoes that came to greet this big ship. They're like, what is this? I've never seen anything like it. So um, the name is basically also a goal that um, I think is becoming more and more shared in the Sierra Mayan in Guam, which is to, to bring back canoe culture and to one day look out into the lagoon and see 500 sails again. Um, and so there's many elements of trying to bring that into fruition. Uh, there's the sailing, obviously, but before you sail, you have to have a boat. <laughs> so <laughs> there's boat building. Um, they use fiberglass to make their canoes. Um, no disrespect to the people making canoes out of wood, like very important knowledge right there, but you can make them faster and without you know, limited breadfruit trees and whatnot if you use fiberglass, and then that helps there to be a tool for young sailors to be learning and out on the water faster. Um, so they use fiberglass, but they're working off a very old diagram called the Amson drawing that was made again by one of the um, the sailors from hundreds of years ago, and it's a drawing of the Chamorro canoe. So using the proportions and all of the different elements that were outlined in detail, thank God, in this drawing that they found, they're able to recreate the shape of the canoe, um, but with modern materials. But they still use bamboo, which is cool. But um, yeah, so they made the first canoe Nenny, what, like four or five years ago? 2016? Yeah, 2016. Yeah, 2016. And that was with the help of um, some boat builders, and then they were on their own, and they had to make Richard Semin. So I think Nenny took three years. And Nenny was in New Zealand. Yeah, they went all the way to New Zealand to figure that one out. And then Richard Semin, they had to come back to Saipan and make one on their own. Mm -hmm. And that took, I think, a year. Yeah. And then, a year? Something. 2019 that Richard Semin came out. I'm getting some details from a sailing woman here that has been on the water longer than all of us combined for sure she sailed all the way from new zealand to saipan it's andrea sorry Ooh. but she's Thanks, really, andrea for being yeah. present <laughs> our support <laughs> she's decided to just be here supporting and not 
not sharing, but, but on the water, she shares her knowledge with us and has been a major guide. So we thank you, Andrea, for everything that you thank do. You. But, um, but so Richard Seven came out in 2019, and then they started building boats faster and faster. They started getting a feel for it. So now there are five canoes on the water and nine in the boatyard, if I'm not mistaken. And so, you know, we're a far, we're far from 500, but picking up steam. And uh, along with the boat building and the sailing, there's the swimming program, super important for safety. The idea being, you know, maybe don't put people out in the ocean, in the open ocean, if they can't swim like a mile or two to get back if they need to. Um, so there's like a long distance swimming program. And then we just started the fishing element of the whole uh, organization. We were in the Derby just a weekend ago, was that? Yeah. Yeah. The first time there's been a traditional canoe in an international fishing derby. Yeah. 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 Uh, and then and then when we were sailing to Tinian, we were trolling and we caught a yellowfin tuna. So we're starting to learn how to fish off these things. <laughs> With the help of course of some very skilled fishermen who are yeah. throwing their skills and knowledge into the to a canoe with us and most recently that was our friend Henry. Shout yeah. out to Henry. Thank you Henry. <laughs> Literally. <Love> Henry. <laughs> Henry. <laughs> like, literally um, our canoe was the last one to land on Tinian, Anagwan and when we all jumped out all I see is Henry with a yellowfin tuna <laughs> and people are just picking out of off of it yeah, like they cut sashimi. it like a mango you yeah. know you cut the squares into a mango you yeah. just put that straight into yeah. the fish you and just pull off it and yeah. it was so good you didn't need any fenadeni you didn't no. need any like calamansi the salt water is enough yeah it was yeah. amazing yeah seafaring has been a tradition that Chamorro people and a lot of people in the Pacific has lost so really so grateful to 500 sales and all the other groups throughout the Marianas who are reclaiming and revitalizing this really important and well-documented um, part of our identity and our history of being really strong navigators and sailors and canoe builders and watermen and women. Um, so it's really great to see a group of women who are so motivated to continue to grow this organization and grow this movement around this reclamation and around this revitalization of our, our seafaring ancestry. Um, can you guys tell me a little bit about the learnings of the Lalazek program and the, and, the pro, and the program itself and what the format's like for those who might be interested? So there's a formal Lalazek course and there's a book actually, or a PDF file of the course instruction uh, that was done by master navigator Cecilio Raikulipi. Yes, thank you. <laughs> His name is quite complex, but yes. <laughs> it's because of him. Uh, he's helped 500 sales uh, create this curriculum. And I think it started about three years ago when they had their first cohort. And I think the three of us, uh, Jaina, Kat, and I were part, and Andrea were part of the third cohort this year. We still have yet to take our exam. <laughs> but we sailed to Tinian. But we sailed so. <laughs> That's your final exam. We yeah. did that. We did that. We've, mm -hmm. we've participated in the fishing derby. We've done sail to, Ma to Manyagaha. So we've had so, a bit of ocean uh, sailing under our belt already. We've done capsizes Metal in the early pages. Yeah, in the early phases, mm -hmm. we've needed to be rescued. But you know, there's, <laughs> there's comfort knowing that there are some skilled uh, 
of boys from Koloat and the other outer islands of Chile. Satu 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 yeah. yeah, the Carolinian sailors have been a huge part of learning yeah. too because you yeah. know they didn't lose their knowledge. Their knowledge has been passed down yeah. and so they've been really generous in, in sharing what they can with us and you know helping us. Yeah. Probably rediscover our knowledge. Yeah, yeah. It probably helps to explain that the Spanish burned all the Chamorro girls yeah. way back yeah. in the day as a way of controlling, yeah. you know, and 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 keeping the culture down. Yeah, and uh, a lot of the Caroline Islands were able to avoid that kind of cultural destruction, and so they've been um, like generous enough and kind enough to to teach out of solidarity mm-hmm. and to try and you know keep the seafaring knowledge alive in that way. So we owe so much of what we know to the Carolinian navigators who have decided yeah. to teach. It's a huge honor. Master yes. navigator Mario Benito, Benito. and yes. master navigator Cecilio. Yeah, they've been a huge part of the process. Yeah. Uncle Tony Piolas as well. And of course, Henry has been teaching us so much. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. can't see, but everyone just keeps bowing. Yeah. <laughs> you have no idea how, like, Henry basically carried us on Richard 7. Yeah. And he was also sharing, the like, he also showed us a way how to steer with just pulling the sheet line. Yeah. The, when the wind's the, strong enough. Yeah, yeah. or the yeah. So that was very helpful information yeah mm-hmm. i've always wanted to learn that we still i still need to learn that a little bit more practicing but <laughs> we'll all get there yeah. but they, they give the gift of like safety you yes. know as we're all learning yes. you know it's like okay nothing's ever gonna get too bad because these yeah. guys are on board and yeah they have been doing this since they were like three yeah yeah so they keep us safe and yeah they ensure us that we will be safe yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah. for the oh yeah, for the Lilladzik class, the PDF that Marge mentioned is available online and it's free on 500sales.org, 500sales.org. Um, and so for the course, it was like about six, eight, week course. eight weeks. It was eight weeks. Four Two weeks. Uh, no, four weeks. Four days. Four on land. On land and then four in the water. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so we'd meet on Sundays at 8 a.m. before the Sunday sales that are open to the whole community. Yeah. And we'd go over different lessons. We had one day on knot tying, um, one day on the parts of the boats, and then, um, you Re- know, of briefing? course, sailing. Like understanding the wind's direction. Oh, like yeah. You don't realize how much of an impact that has on sailing. Uh, when we were coming into Tinian, you know, and I was on Mario's boat, and people on the shore could just see us, like, lilacing, just tacking, yeah. or just changing direction to get in, not knowing that that was essential in order for us to safely come to shore. They thought mm-hmm. we were just out there having fun, taking our time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's a lot more to to sailing than meets the eye. Yes. Or to me, I didn't I had no idea until we started how much weight was important, like yeah. where the weight is on the canoe. Yeah. Things that I guess now they seem like they should be obvious, but when you come in totally blind, yeah. there's just so much to learn. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Going back to the class, you have the formal program. They usually do two a year, but uh, and and those would usually be posted up on the Facebook page for 500 sales. But when I started, I mean, I just saw the newspaper article about 500 sales were opening up again, and back in December, and I just kind of hopped on. And you know, uh, what I've learned from there initially starting on was I had no idea, and I can be like. Uh, I'll see like Peter Perez out there like tying the knots and I'll just walk on over. Other people are really shy about having to ask questions or not wanting to intrude, but I was there for a purpose Yeah. <laughs> and I was there to learn. I want to know what I'm doing. And so I just kind of inserted myself there, which 
for those of you guys listening, you know, like you're there to learn, you're there to reconnect with your culture, and sometimes these master navigators or these instructors won't necessarily like pull you aside and say, hey, and walk you through this. Not unless mm-hmm. you're in that formal Alazic program. It's up to you to decide for yourself how like how much you want to learn. So it's not just observing them, you also want to ask questions and they'll actually appreciate that yeah. because mm-hmm. it shows interest. Yeah. yeah. And that's also yeah. part of the culture too. Like yeah. if you want the knowledge you you ask for it. You're They're supposed not, to you're ask. supposed to ask yeah, for it's it. not supposed to be volunteered necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's not necessarily their job to tell you what to do and everything. You just put yourself in that mm-hmm. place in that position mm-hmm. and they will teach you. They will guide you. Mm-hmm. So just show up uh, every Sunday from 10 a.m. till 2 p.m. We won't have one this weekend since we're all still recovering from our sales, <laughs> the derby, the, the 4th of July camping. It was so. like seven days straight, right? I mean, two days of derby and then like four days of sailing, I yeah. guess, or six. And then in addition to that, we were also scheduling practice sales in the middle of the week at 6 a.m. <laughs> for a two-hour sale and get off to work. And mm-hmm. So yeah, it's just a lot of juggling. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a, so it was a lot. Mm-hmm. A lot of time on the water, which um, is such a great thing for people be, to be connecting to because our ocean is so vast around us. And there's still so many people who just aren't comfortable in the water. Um, or who grew up with families who like instill a sense of fear in the water. Um, so what sort of, how has being in this Lalazek program and being in 500 sales strengthened your connection to the ocean? It's really shown me how beautiful and powerful the ocean can be. You know, like when you're, when you're sailing in the canoe, you can just feel the connection with with the wind and the and the waves and the water and like feeling that connection is a whole other thing versus just just swimming in it but it's also kind of like shown this whole other level of respect like you really are at the mercy of the ocean when you're out there and and it, it just requires a lot of um, respect I think you know to to stay safe and understand that the ocean can be so powerful mm-hmm. um, and also it just reminds me that our ancestors sailed these seas for hundreds and hundreds of years and so we like being out on the canoe it just it reminds me that like that this was their home these were the seas that they sailed mm-hmm. it's an occasion to pay more attention also to the water you know and to yeah. the wind like you have to you can't move forward unless you're harnessing these different you know powerful elements and mm-hmm. so i think it makes it makes it it more relevant and so you just start being more closely connected in that regard like you have to watch it mm-hmm. you know so what I learned with Lalazuk, I mean, I helped a lot with uh, 500 sales swimming programs and whatnot. I would be helping Miss Emma teach swimming and I would also have my own group sometimes. But Lalazuk made me realize that literally, if you're swimming, if you're sailing, the ocean carries you. I, I, I was just thinking about it last night that the ocean really just carries you if you're up there above water, the ocean is moving you. If you're underwater, the ocean is still moving you. So it's just really one big entity that you just, like they all said, like Jaina, Marge, and um, Sophie, that you just have to respect it because it's its own entity. One of the things the Alazic program has done for me is to feel safe in the ocean in a way, just because growing up, 
I never ventured too far from the shore where all the majority of people swimming on the beach on Tinian was within uh, like close range. Mm -hmm. uh, if I ever went scuba diving, always a group of people. So my element of safety was like, as long as I'm with a group of people, the shark won't eat me. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we had a man overboard trail and Pete Perez asked me to jump overboard. So I did. And, uh, and this is one of our drills, and part of the things that we had to do for Loazek was to know what to do when someone falls overboard. So as a sign to nobody knew that. Nobody knew when I was going to jump overboard, but we had that signal, so I did. And of course, I'm like maybe two miles from shore off of the Guma Sagman. It's high tide. Uh, the, the girls knew enough to throw me the life ring. And so I'm like 10, 15 feet away from the boat and the current's strong, the wind's pushing them further away from shore. And there I am on, on this life ring, just taking my time, because it's like, oh, it's only 10 feet away from the boat. But it started going further and further, and I kept looking back, and the shore seems like the most important thing. Yeah. <laughs> Rather than going out to try to get onto the boat. Mm. And the next thing you know, they were a quarter of a mile away from me. Oh my gosh. And oh my gosh. I was in this life ring in the middle of the ocean, two miles away, and luckily I had my goggles on me. And I was, I was like, okay, we gotta stay calm because the sharks can detect fear, and your heart would be racing, and they can detect it. So calm down, breathe. If your, if your brother, if my brother was ten years, my brother is ten years younger than I am, and he's been spear fishing and hunting and doing things like that. He's such an amazing swimmer since he was like twelve. He basically followed my dad everywhere, and I didn't have that experience. So I was like, my brother can do it. My dad's a really good swimmer. I can do. It. So there I am with my goggles, swimming with the life ring, trying to get to shore. Uh, and I'd like look down every now and then, and I'm like looking all over me, looking for where the shark was gonna come. Granted, this is a lagoon, you don't really see them, and you know, I watch too many horror movies, and I, <laughs> so then my, my imagination gets the better of me. Oh yes, <laughs> don't I, I tell her that now. <laughs> well, I have, and I and I've seen sharks on Tinian, and they've left me alone. But it's still a scary feeling. Yeah. And I'm like, man, I don't know how, how I'm like, like it's okay. Like if my dad or my brother can do it, if my ancestors could do it, I'll be fine in the ocean. Just swim to shore. So there I was swimming. Saw some blue starfish, and it just. You know, like just if you can calm yourself down in that moment of panic when you're in that new situation, uh, you'll you'll actually learn a lot about yourself, and you're actually facing that fear. And I know in Tinian, and even on the fishing derby, whenever I needed to get into the water to pee, they <laughs> talk about sharks coming up to me. <laughs> so it's just it's just like you know like they throw all these stories at you about the sharks and there's a lot of unknown things that are in the ocean but you know uh what a lot of these guys have touched on is about respect for for the living creatures there and you know like uh, i i just know not to disturb these things because i don't know them and i don't know how they'll respond but if you're calm uh, you can basically try to get yourself out of any situation. So. I just like to add that Marjorie was in fact saved. <laughs> we we eventually went back to her after like thirty minutes. Half an hour later. <laughs> half an hour between half an hour, like thirty minutes to half an hour, she was in That's fact rescued. Yes. You know yes. what? It reminds me of is um, 
what Henry says they do in the Caroline Islands if you're seasick. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, like, little kids, they'll bring, like, eight-year-olds on the canoe. And a lot of times it's the little ones that get seasick at first because they're still getting used mm-hmm. to it. And so they'll be like, oh, are you seasick? Just come sit over here. <laughs> like, right on the edge of the canoe. And then they just kick the kid into the yep, water. Yep. And they sail away. Yep. And the panic and the fear Get makes their seasickness go, go away. <laughs> and, and, and we know this is true because Henry himself, the man that told the story, it happened to him. He yeah. was that boy. He was one of the boys that got kicked out of the canoe. Yeah, and, and they come back and yeah. And yeah. he said it was never an issue again yeah. after yeah. that. <laughs> so they didn't believe in any drama mean. It was yeah. just straight up fear. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, it is the only cure for seasickness. <laughs> the only Push medicine. Push them off the canoe. That is the only way to solve it. <laughs> the worst is that they sail away. I know. <laughs> like they go far and then they come back. Yeah, again, yeah. Guess, but. At least they can swim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that's that level of trust that they have, you know, growing up, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. And that's something that I think, hopefully, if there's canoe culture for little kids now and future little kids, we can be kicking them off canoes too. <laughs> I mean, yeah. with, with consent, you know? <laughs> from their parents. With yeah. consent from their parents. Yeah. We haven't started doing that yet. Don't care. worry, if you bring your child to 500 sales, we won't kick them off the canoe. They'll have a life jacket. We Unless you really want them to be kicked yeah. off. They're in safe hands, I guarantee you that. <laughs> Safety is a top priority. Um, so I also really wanted to talk, you guys just went through this, oh shoot, ep- you went through this long epic week of sailing and long hours of doing the fishing derby, which was a historic feat, and then for all of you, this personal journey, um, well, like, Sophia's d- done this before, uh, and I, I, have you captained the boat too? Uh, I, not from Tinian's okay. that's like a big deal one, but I've been captain on, on smaller ones. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So all these ladies ha- were uh, doing an inner island sail. They went to, from Saipan to Tinian and back over the course of this past week with um, a Northern Marianas College for a Northern Marianas College uh, summer camp, the Magalahi summer camp in, in Tinian and uh, 500 Sails is one of the featured events for this week-long summer camp. Um, so they sailed, which is pretty epic in my mind, for all the way from uh, Saipan at the Smiling Cove down to the south of Tinian. Um, and yeah, I want to hear a little bit about your reflections on being out in the water and in the deep ocean blue and the Tinian Saipan Channel is no easy feat to cross. So what was that experience like? Man, so this was, this was my first time really sailing outside of the reef, um, was sailing to Tinian. <laughs> Which is a big leap. Which is a huge yeah. leap. So um, I was pretty nervous and I was talking to Sophia leading up to it like, man, I haven't sailed outside of the, outside of the reef. But, um, you know, with a good captain like Henry, I felt really safe and it's, it is a whole other thing once you, once you leave the reef because, you know, that's when you really get winds and you really have to work with, you know, with, with the waves and with the current. But I had this moment when we had just passed the reef in Saipan and I could still see the whole island behind me and we were kind of out where the, the big ships are. And I reached into the cooler and I grabbed a Carabao mango. <laughs> and I, I peeled it with my teeth and then I took a bite and it was the most juicy and sweet mango. And I was looking back at the whole island and I was like, wow, 
this is what my ancestors did hundreds of years ago. <laughs> and it was just this beautiful moment because I had all this fear about going and I was so nervous and, and worried. And then once I got out there, it was just trusting my crew, trusting my captain and, and you know, respecting the waters and trusting that it would, it would carry us the whole way. And um, the sail actually went by really fast. It took us like seven and a half hours on the Richard Summon to get to Tinian, but it, it went by really fast because the whole time, you know, you're just, you're monitoring the waters in front of you, you're, you're letting your crewmates rest when they need to rest, and you're carrying the weight when you need to carry the weight. Um, and I feel like it, you know, it was a really great experience. It's the, like I really felt like I was truly sailing. It's not just going for joy rides in the lagoon. You know, you're really out there. Um, mm -hmm. And luckily, I didn't get seasick. So it was, uh, it was a really beautiful experience. Yeah, it's surprising how much you don't mind how long it takes. Like when you tell yeah. people how long the sail was, they're always like, geez. Yeah. <laughs> That's so fun crazy. for you. Like flying from Hawaii to Guam, that plane ride is almost unbearable for me. But sitting on the yeah. outrigger of a canoe or sitting on the fiberglass canoe for eight hours is like no problem. That's so real. That's so real. Like, yeah, like on an airplane, you have air fun, they feed you, mm -hmm. you're watching movies. And it's still miserable. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm like laying down at the. You're like on a piece of plywood. I'm on a piece of Man, there's this one point I was laying down by the mata or the, the front of the canoe. I was laying down on my back. My arm was wrapped around a piece of bamboo, and this was in the channel. So we're like rocking up and down and I'm just getting splashed with water and I was just like I'm gonna take a nap right here <laughs> I'm just gonna do it this is fine yeah. and then like a couple minutes later she's like guys I can't take a nap the waves are smacking me <laughs> but I've, I've slept on the canoe before you know it's actually it can be very relaxing mm -hmm. it's like a water bed yeah <laughs> the way so like my our way to Tinian I was on I was on Anaguan with um, Miss Emma, uh, Emma Perez, Peter Perez, Sophia Garin, um, and Miss Andrea, and Tim. Tim, hey Tim. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it was, honestly, I have a fear of the open water. I've been swimming competitive, competitively since like I was seven, and people always tell me like, how are you so scared of the water? How are you scared of the ocean? You're a swimmer, and I'm like, Okay, yeah, but like I said, like you don't, you never know what's underneath you. You never know what's gonna happen. You can't when you're in the water. That's not your element. We're mammals. We live on land. <laughs> I wish I could be a fish or a mermaid or, a, or a sirena. Or whales. Yeah, whales. Yeah, turtles. Yeah, down for that. Um, but like the, the water isn't your element. It ha you have to be its friend. So on the way to Tinian. I, I was on the gigahi or like the, the line sheet and there would be times where I just cannot focus because the outrigger would just be dipping in in the water, mm -hmm. going back up. And it got to a point where I was like, Mr. Pete, I'm tired. <laughs> but I was just too scared. I had to calm down a little bit. And we eventually made it to Tinian. We were the last ones. I remember just collapsing on the sand and one of the polo out boys, Lolo, was like, hey, what happened to her? <laughs> Oh, and the Poksai, Miss Andrea. I was on the Gegehi the entire time, and I had no intention of touching the Poksai, and then we were nearing, or the, the paddle to like help steer the canoe, and we were nearing land. And Miss Andrea goes, Kat, do you want to try the Poksai? And I was like, 
uh, no, <laughs> I'm okay. And then she's like, okay. It's like she just dismisses it, but I already knew for a fact she was going to bring it up again. <laughs> sure enough, 30 minutes later, she's like, cat, like more firmly now. She's like, cat, are you sure you don't want to try to fuck side? And I was just like, okay, I'll try it. So I, I was on the puck side, and it's different being on the puck side in the lagoon because the water is so calm there. But man, when you're out in the open ocean, it's just like you're looking. So if you're on the puck side, you're generally like the magus, right? You're like kind of somewhat like the magus. You're driving. Yeah, you're, yeah, you're, you're driving. You're the steering wheel. <laughs> but on in the open water, the canoe, the mata is just going up and down, up and down. So you really have to focus on what you're doing. And you just have to trust that the others are also focused on what they're doing. Like the weight, the it's even, the, the, the timing, mm -hmm. yes, and the gigehi. Mm -hmm. But we eventually landed. No one capsized. We're mm -hmm. all safe. So thank God for that. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Uh, for the Tinian camp, that was a really big deal to me, and uh, it was one of my goals when I joined 500 Sales was to be able to sail the Tinian, especially when I first heard about the camp. And I remember bringing my father to 500 Sales when he was visiting Saipan, and I talked to him about canoe culture, and my dad was like, and I told him about how our ancestors used to do it, and he would say something like, not even my grandfather, you know, I don't think Chamorro's ever sailed. Not even my grandfather talked about it. So for me, I just, you know, I just kind of kept, not egging him, but I just kind of kept priming him in a way so that on one of the days that he was in Saipan, right before he was going to go back to Tinian, he would, like, be more open to the idea of sailing on a canoe. And uh, I think also one of the questions that he was, that he asked me and he was very skeptical about was what the canoes were made of. Because <laughs> he expected it to be wood, and I told him it was fiberglass, and he just liked, what? <laughs> like, why build a canoe in the first place? Yeah. But, uh, and I convinced him, Dad, we'll just go out for an hour on the boats, and, uh, you know, and then we'll go back. We ended up being there for three hours. Mm. Wow. Yeah, he, he just loved the experience. And plus, the sail was manned by the boys from Santoal and Polowat, so it was a smooth sail for him. <laughs> for <that laughs> yeah. And they wild hiked, so he had a really nice time. And uh, uh, so I told him that I was going to be sailing down to Tinian uh, maybe like three months later. And he was, he just seemed very proud, you know, and I wanted him to be there. So, and of course, people down there at the Gumasakman know that I'm from Tinian. So it was, I was on the Nenny. She was the 26-footer with the white sail. And of course, the master navigator Mario Benito is on that boat mm -hmm. with his son Lolo. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and Thompson, right? And Thompson. It was April. So uh, it was, uh, Kat mentioned earlier that it's a really big deal to Poksai, or to handle the paddle. And Mario looked at me uh, right as we were crossing, right when we were about to cross the Saipan Channel, and asked me if I wanted to puck side. And I was just super excited because I'm like, yeah! I mean, I'm a little bit intimidated because <laughs> he's going to be assessing how I'm doing, you know? But he sat up up front and was just kind of like pointing directions to the left or right for me to be able to angle that. And mind you, when you're out there on the channel, uh, the waves are really, really rough. And the paddle that you're used to in gentle waters in the lagoon, as light as it is, it's, uh, you need a little bit more weight to handle that. Mm -hmm. 
So it's a little bit, I think I slowed us down. We were the first to, to, to cross, but then the Richard Simmons passed us. And, <laughs> <laughs> and that was because it was me handling the baby. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I slowed us down a bit, but we caught up. But uh, Mario was nice enough to allow me to cross the channel, to poke Syed the whole way through until we were halfway across the Tinian coast. And he wanted to give me a break, and he's like, okay. When we get into Tinian on the beach, you can either do the Poksai again, so you can like, so the people on Tinian will see you. And it was just Aww. such a beautiful moment, and yeah. uh, it was it's, it was very meaningful. And I think for the camp, it meant it was nice. I think it resonated with the kids to know that someone from Tinian was there with them and was able to do the lots of program because it's things like that, like growing up there, that. They would say things like, oh, we don't have enough things to do. And it's usually people from outside who comes in and brings in these activities. So it was just, it was nice to show people that, yeah. you know, Actually, people from there can be a part of I didn't, Marjorie, that. I didn't tell you this, but one of my students in the camp was a little girl. And she asked, she was like, Kathleen, who's that girl in the, like, pink, um, like, swimsuit? I was like, oh, that's Marjorie. And she's like, why does she look so familiar? <laughs> and I looked at her, I'm like, she's from Tinian. And I'm like, and she's like, so she, she, she came here with you guys? Like, she's still with you? I'm like, yeah, she did. Like, that's why she looks very familiar. Because she was born and raised here on Tinian. <laughs> and she was like, oh, wow, like, that's so cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I completely forgot to tell you that. But here Aww, I am. I know. so sweet. So, yeah, like, the girl, a, a girl, a young girl, yeah. was really like, wow, like, a woman mm -hmm. that came from Tinian, sailed here. Or came from Saipan, sailed here. To That's a perfect point that I wanted to like segue into like the next question that I have for you is because, you know, traditionally uh, navigation is mostly men doing this work and you guys are all women coming to this um, tradition and building this program and learning. What is, like, just as a woman and also learning the roles of the, the canoe, like, what is your hopes, I guess, for, for this, it's not a sport, but I guess for this community of seafaring and, and um, the ways in which women are um, engaging in it? Mm -hmm. Well, um, I remember Miss Emma telling me that men are the ones going out and sailing and hunting and fishing and women just stay on land, but the women are the holders of the knowledge. The women are the ones that spread the knowledge to the younger kids and whatnot. So with this, with us right now, I think it's great that we're also hopping into the game, navigating in a way, like we're, we're, we're showing people that, yes, like the women can hold the knowledge and act on the knowledge. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, cultures are, it's not like a, a recipe that you're supposed to follow the same way every single time necessarily. You know, they're living things and and time just keeps moving forward, right? And um, maybe there was a time when it makes sense to have only women just stay there and safeguard, but when you think about it, it's like, well, couldn't like a man just stay there and safeguard? <laughs> <laughs> the like, like, how is this like related to anatomy, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, Maybe it can be a new experiment in the culture to see yeah. well, what happens when you put the females on the canoe, yeah. you know? The one thing, I mean, 
that I do have to acknowledge is like like men just get to get all built once they're like 20 they just start they explode right with like muscles and stuff that's not in our genetic code necessarily right so I do think like being a female sailor and like if we were to like really start being super hardcore and do the stuff Andrea's done for example like go like across like you know New Zealand to Saipan type stuff maybe we just have to play smarter you know Mm -hmm. because to a certain extent, we are limited physically. Yeah. If you were to relate us to a man, right? But yeah. it's like when you have the gigehi, like maybe a man could hold it directly the entire time, but all you have to do is just wrap it one time around yeah. the bamboo, and then you're gonna take like half the half the muscle out of that whole yeah. procedure, right? So maybe we just have to yeah play smart. And <laughs> <laughs> and also when you're you know when you're sailing you're not some people are capable of of manning the whole canoe themselves yeah. but you have a crew and you have people you can share the weight with and you know for my sail to Tinian and back it was three to four women and Henry <laughs> Henry <laughs> and, and yeah and we were fine you know we knew that you know we just paced ourselves took breaks when we needed to watched out for each other made sure we were you know carrying the weight and, and making sure everyone was okay and honestly like being a part of the, the being a part of the Lilatzak program today now, it just so happened that this cohort was mostly women. Yes. Mm-hmm. It just so happened that yes. the females were the ones who stepped up, and the females yes. were the ones who said, "I want to learn this. Yes. I want to be a part of this. I want to gain this mm-hmm. knowledge." So, like, it, sure, it could be still just men sailing canoes, but we're the ones showing up. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, when when our Lilatzak cohort started, there was like several males but like it was predominantly women and then as the class went on just males started like falling off and it was just the women that stuck with the program even heading to Tinian like when we were all meeting at Smiling Cove all you just see are females Mm -hmm. and uh, the the males were like Mario Benito's um, nephew and nephews and son and Mr. Pete, but it was it was mainly a female crew, and mm-hmm. like this is just an example of women can do it, and women women will do it. And I appreciate the the Carolinian sailors for for stepping out of the box on that one too, because yes. they are not used to that. Yeah, and yeah. they don't. Yeah, they don't and follow I, metrillennial plan. Yeah, yeah, so but they they're like, oh, you guys want to learn? Okay, yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. They didn't have to do that, so. I, that. Yeah. yeah, we asked him for Mario, like, traditionally, where would women be on the canoe? And they're like, oh, yeah, on, out on the, um, uh, on the Lutza, they usually build a platform and, like, have a shelter, and that's the women to <laughs> hang out in the shelter and yeah, make yeah. food or um, mm-hmm. just relax in there. So he was just really excited, too, to just see all the motivation that the young women are carrying mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. and bringing to the table. Mm-hmm. You never responded. But. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, no, Mario. No, there's a whole lot. No. Mm-hmm. Uh, could I mean I what is it ditto <laughs> <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> um, the fishing derby though uh, I was the only girl on I was with Leo Pangolinan and and Henry on the fishing <laughs> derby and master and master, master navigator Mario. Tony mm-hmm. Fiala mm-hmm. so um, uh, that was an experience you know uh, being the only female on a crew full of men and uh, I think one of the issues that people often ask me about is how do you pee? How do women pee? And I, you, I mean, 
on the sale from Tinian, I had at least had April. Oh, yeah, April was on my thing. Shout out to April. Yeah. Hi, April. Hey, Miss April. <laughs> and uh, at least having another female on the boat made it made me feel a little bit more comfortable. And she, and even uh, Mario said something that was really comforting. Uh, that was like, you know, we're all on this boat and we're all here together and, you know, we're all family. So just go ahead and do what you have to do, you know. If you want, just pee on the platform. <laughs> and I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, you just sit there, pee. And then just take the thing and just rinse yourself off with it. But I'm like, you're sitting on the opposite end of me on the, on the platform. That's like our worst option by far. Yeah. <laughs> and he just said it so casually. Yeah. There is no graceful way, though. Yeah. I like Kat's oh. method of hanging like a sloth. <laughs> She's like spread out on the outrigger, oh, balancing on the bamboos, and just yeah. sticking her bum in the so, water. So, I wish, like, I had I, a pencil that had a koala yeah. that was like that. So, <laughs> I, I still have like my fear of the water. So, of course, and I gotta go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was already building up. So, I was like, Henry. It's time, like, I gotta do it. And I just slowly eased my way onto the bamboo and I just did not leave it. I was like, I told she my like mom, it, yeah. Upside down. Well, they were like, they were like, she looks like a sloth. I was telling my mom how I had to pee and I'm like, mom, I, I look like a monkey. Like, I was just straight up orangutan. And she was just laughing at me. She's like, at least you peed. I'm like, you're right, you're right. Because mm-hmm. I held it for like, 10 hours yeah. at the fishing derby. Oh. It was painful. Yeah. That's rough. It was. Yeah. And that was because. You were the only girl. I was the only girl. And they were all girl. just right there. So even if I dipped in the water, I just felt like all eyes were on me because <laughs> they're waiting for me. So before yeah. they can go lilac. So there was all this pressure. And I'm like, I've never peed in front of so many men before. <laughs> and you're like, and the even even up in the water. Navigating. You were yeah. real. <laughs> Master navigating. Master navigating. Yeah. That's rough. Yes. Yeah. Henry would say that we pee diesel. Yeah. So like, so like, on the way back to Saipan, um, we made our first stop, our first pee stop, and it was, I'm not even gonna say the name, sorry, but when we, when we were, when they were done, Henry was like, ugh. Smells like gas now. And <laughs> <laughs> we're like, Henry, let's just go. <laughs> I guess that's what's cool also is like these people that have so much knowledge, you know, like they've forgotten more than we've learned, right? Yeah, like, yeah. They're so down to earth at the same time. They really are. You know, it's a very mm-hmm. celebrated knowledge, but you're like camping with them. You know, yeah, like, yeah. I don't know, it's really cool. And we're really just like one big family and mm-hmm. really are. Mm-hmm. I really do love that about the, the sailing community and even just the aspect that is necessary to move your canoe forward, how everybody really needs to, you know, be one with one another. Um, yeah, I wanted to see, you guys have talked a lot about the different roles, if you can just go over that a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, like what's the feeling of being in a crew and having to, like, you know, that's ultimate teamwork, your like, lives are in each other's hands. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so for the, the crew on the canoe, there's the magas, boss, the captain. So they're, you know, the person, they're the person in charge. They're the, the key point. Um, when you're voyaging, like voyaging, voyaging, there's also a navigator. Um, but when you're in the lagoon, you don't really need a navigator. So you have the magas who's, you know, the one in charge and, and will tell people what to do, can tell people where to sit, can tell you which way to go. 
and then you have the person on the pok side, which is the paddle, and so they sit at the mata, which is um, either end of the canoe. Um, and so the person in the back with the, the pok side is the one steering the canoe, and then you have uh, another person on the gegehi, which is the sheet line. So that's the person who controls the sail and whether it goes in and out. Um, am I missing anything? Well, hopefully you have someone on the outrigger. And then usually, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's the weight. Yeah, someone on the outrigger mm -hmm. as the weight. And these rolls can, can the switch. Kamuchi. The bag kamuchi? of kamuchi. Yeah, we just call them the sack of sweet potatoes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> or or yes. on Jaina's case, it was a, a box of clamshells and <laughs> doni. Uh, cut that. <laughs> yeah, and you really do have to work together. Like, a, a, a crew can have a very different energy and vibe based on who's on the canoe and how well you work together. And it's really important that you work in harmony and, and you take care of each other and you really listen to each other. Like, the, the sail to Tinian was just amazing because Henry said, he said, you know how to be a, a good captain? You, you don't have to be the most skilled sailor. You just have to make sure you have a happy crew. Happy crew, happy sail. Aww. Yeah. We were a happy crew. We were a very happy crew. We were a very happy crew. Yeah. So there's, there's three things that help a canoe uh, get to its journey safely. It's the person uh, steering using the poksai, or the mamoksai, right? The mamoksai. And then the person handling the gigehi, the sheet line, so the sail, right? And then, of course, the weight distribution. So all of these three things can help the person on the paddle steer the, uh, steer the boat to safety. Or it could even also just be the person holding the gigehi line, right? Depending on how rough the conditions are. But regardless, uh, on a canoe, it's a hierarchy, and there's only one person in the top, and that's your magus. It's not a committee, which is often uh, something that's difficult for people who are not from the CNMI or who grew up in that kind of culture, because then they say it's like a committee <laughs> of people trying to, with different sailing experiences, telling the magus what to do or how to do things better, which is, in a way, just sort of disrespectful. But uh, when you're going on these long ocean voyages, it's important that everybody listens to the magus because usually the magus is the one with the most experience and the one who's a little more in tune with the environment and is a lot more familiar with it or just understands uh, what they're navigating through to get the crew to safety. So one of the most important things I've emphasized is that whatever issues you have with any person on the boat, that disappears when you're on the canoe. Mm -hmm. Because if you're feeling uh, angry with one of the people on the boat, it's going to affect how that journey goes for everyone else. It's going to affect everyone's safety. Mm -hmm. So it's really important to let, to set aside those differences until you get to your destination. Mm -hmm. Then you can bring it back up again. <laughs> <laughs> and also like, it's not, it's not just like the positions on the canoe, but it's also with trust and again, respect. Mm -hmm. You have to trust the person that's on the poksai, you have to trust the person that's on the gigehi, you have to trust your navigator, your maga, and the canoe itself, and the canoe itself, and the ocean, and the ocean. It's really a big part of trust here, because like uh, Manyaka said, it's you, our lives are in each other's hands, and we are family. There's so much like values that came through just talking about the different roles and, and talking about like you know getting to the destination and also just enjoying the journey mm -hmm. and being a part of the journey as you go forward. Um, yeah, I think I just want to end and round out this uh, this little interview with you guys with, with what's your 
personal visions of um, the canoe culture and the, and the Lalanzac um, movement that's growing here in Saipan and throughout the rest of the Marianas? What's something you hope to see? Well, what I hope to see is more young kids. More young kids in the water, swimming, sailing especially, because it's a big part of, it's a big culture of the cinema that was lost and it should be um, revived again, just like how the Chamorro language is being, is, is being taught in the culture. Sailing, seafaring is also a big part of that culture. I would like to see the canoes pop up on more islands, oh, you yeah. know, starting with Tinian and Rhoda, you know, Guam, definitely. And then I think, you know, there's, so I, I was born and raised in the Bay Area, right? Like, and there's actually so many Chamorros out there, also San Diego, in Texas, around the base, a lot, a lot of times around military bases. And it would be so cool to have canoes that the diaspora can sail around as like sort of like a entryway, you know, like a gateway to maybe doing what me and Jaina both did, which is to go back home to a place that maybe you've hardly ever spent any time in, and yet you know that you have some connection there, right? Like, it would be great to kind of pull more people in that direction. I would love for my kids to be able to grow up with canoe culture. I would love for them to be able to, you know, know that the Chamorros were sailing for hundreds and hundreds of years and that there's generational knowledge and I would like there to be gener generational knowledge to start passing down and for them to pass down. Because um, it's, it's true, this is something that was lost over 265 years ago, but for thousands of years before that, it was a huge part of the culture here and it's also a huge part of, you know, Pacific culture, you know, across, across the ocean. Um, so I would love to see the ocean not be something that divides us, but something that connects us, you know, to, to all the different people of the different islands. You guys are so beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> She's just staring at us so <laughs> dreamy. Um, uh, I serve on the board for 500 sales, uh, at least since February, March, and I chair a strategic planning committee. And uh, one of the things I tell people is uh, that I believe what 500 sales uh, is doing, you know? And of course, the last eight weeks have been dedicated to writing up our strategic plan for 500 sales. And that is that the CNMI enjoys a thriving native community that uh, who would, CNMI enjoys a healthy, thriving native community who would practice canoe culture in their daily lives. One of the goals of our strategic plan is to have 500 sailing canoes all over the Marianas by the year 2030. That includes the islands of Guam, Saipan, Tinian, and Rhoda. So for me, uh, that's something that I believe in. One of the reasons why I'm with 500 sails is because I want to reconnect with our cultural, with my cultural roots and uh, and I know that one of the difficulties and one of the things I've noticed in our Lalatsa classes was that there's barely any locals, you know, who would be attending and oftentimes, I mean, no offense to my wonderful group of Lalatsa cohort members who are listening to this. <laughs> we love you. We love you. And I so very much appreciate our relationship and the fact that you would take time out of your schedule to be really involved with our 
maritime cultural uh, revival. But I would, I would love to see more of our local people be a lot more involved. I would love to see more of our children engaging with canoes and uh, growing up with them and just being able to sail in and out and travel from island to island. These are sustainable vessels. These are, these are ways of life that we can integrate between scuba diving to fishing to, I don't know, uh, just do for recreational. Yeah. yeah. And, it's, and one of the things that Emma said right before we went off our Nortingan camp was this was going to be hard work, mm -hmm. you know? And I'm like, what? It's mm -hmm. never hard work. Mm -hmm. Hard to sales is fun. Mm -hmm. It's always fun. Yeah. And maybe it's hard work, but for me, it's something that is my happy place. Yeah. You know? And every time I'm out on that water, I, I love just that connection. And it's a very spiritual like, experience for me. Mm -hmm. yeah. And yeah. I want others, to, and I want to be able to share that with others and have people enjoy that feeling mm -hmm. too. Yeah. So that's it. Mm -hmm. Can I add something real quick? Yes, please. Yeah. Um, it's it's amazing that you know we're sharing this with a lot of people visiting the islands. You know, people who are not indigenous here, and that we get to share this aspect of our culture. But it's for the local people. Mm. This is a part of this is a part of our history and our heritage. And so I'm 100% with Marge that it would be really amazing to see more local people getting involved because this is something that we can share with others as a representation of you know the, of who we are. Yeah. Yeah, thank you so much. I think you guys brought up so much. And, you know, Micronesia Climate Change Alliance is focused on creating community-based solutions to the climate crisis. And Micronesia is at the forefront, and we are on the front lines of climate impacts and, and climate change. And we don't really contribute to the problem. So you, what you guys are doing, what 500 Sales are doing by um, leaning into ancestral wisdoms, by finding are revitalizing means of transportation between our islands that aren't fossil fuel based mm -hmm. is 100% climate action and is 100% the ways in which our whole islands community is not just in the Marianas but throughout the rest of the Pacific um, need to be doing and moving to get us and not just us but the entire world in a better situation for the future. And I really want to just extend my appreciation for your time here today and sharing your stories and sharing your visions for, and hopes for the future and all the lessons you've learned through um, the Lalazak program with 500 sales. So, Dunkelinus is a small for sharing with me today. I'm really excited to um, bring this to the podcast. So, thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for, thank you for having me. Yeah.